Welcome to the Innovation Conversation, a podcast about innovators, both in business and real life. Hosted by myself, Ricardo Pesqual, and Harry McDonough. Today's episode is sponsored by Hyperskill. Hyperskill is a learning and training platform that enables people from all over the world to learn new tech skills. If you're looking to learn new tech skills, this is a platform to choose. You can find out more about them on hyperskill.org. Today we're joined by Dominic Dumont, founder of two startups, who's going to tell us all about his latest creation, Dashhawk, and how it connects food content creators with their audience. Joined today by Dominic. Dominic is a very, very interesting individual, and he actually started two companies now. Uh, so we're going to talk about the first one and what happened with, with that, and also and primarily about Dashalt, who he co-founded, and exactly what's going on with Dashalt. So Dominic, do you want to go ahead and just kind of tell us what, of course, what Dashalt of course. is? Uh, thanks for that nice intro. It's really nice to have you. Oh, pleasure. Um, form called Dashalt, Dashalt.com, mm -hmm. and it's part of what we call the uh, creator economy. So for people who are familiar with it, it's uh, you know websites like Twitch, uh, Patreon, OnlyFans, another one with different type of content on this one, right? So uh, it's very um, it's relatively new online, and what we're looking at is really to see if that business model of basically users supporting the creators that they like mm -hmm. could be applicable in other markets, and you know. Patreon as the biggest one, or Substack is another one. They're doing kind of like the food, the art scene, this type of thing. But we came to the conclusion that the food market would be quite interesting to look at. So we did a little bit of research on that and found out that there is quite a lot of problems in that space that have been there for 20 years, right? That could be changed with the creator economy. So um, I'm sure we've all been in that situation that we're looking for a recipe online. Mm -hmm. You end up to a, on a food blog, you know, then you're going to you don't know where is the recipe, really. You're going to see the very long text at first. And then, you know, if you get, if you get lucky enough, you're going to find the ingredients and then the methods. And in between that, then you're going to you're going to see all the adverts and then the pop ups. And it's very it, it, it's not very user friendly at all. Mm -hmm. But the reason why they have these long text is for the SEOs to be found on Google and generate money uh, with the uh, with the adverts. But with the creator economy, what is interesting is really to give an opportunity for the creator to um, build a community so they have the, their followers already on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook and really to build a community with all the tools that they need into one platform and also to uh, be able to offer uh, you know, uh, content that is visible for everyone to see but also exclusive content just for their fan base basically. Makes sense. I mean, I don't totally know about you, Harry, but every time I cook, I hate looking up recipes because there's always a disparity between what they s write down somewhere on a website and actually what you actually need to do the, the dish. And it's always, add, I don't know, lard instead of butter or something like that. I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't have lard in the house. Who has lard in the house? At least I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how would you actually go around like you know, measuring this up compared to forums? You talked about SEO, digital aspects to it. How are you finding people differentiate from that? So if I go into a forum and I create it, it's something that's unique, but also all the information's there. I also have my own community and fan base. But mm -hmm. at the same time, how are you finding Dashels differentiating for something that's free into an actual paid online So we're not, um, I see what you mean. It's not really to, it's more kind of a bonus in terms of, you know, for the, for the creators and the users. So we're not saying that the free content online is going to disappear completely, but it's the, uh, for the creators, they, they have followers that really follow them, right? You know, it's not just kind of they go on Google and look for recipes that happen a lot obviously but some people really follow the people you know the creators that they like and it's really to give them the tools for them to 
um, to create their, their private community as such, to be able to ask questions directly to them, to uh, have Q&As, for example, to ask you know, what type of recipe they, should, they would like to do next, um, and really for people to share the same interests together. So recipes is one thing, but let's say if we have people that um, uh, have the same interests around wine, you know, people who love wine or beer making, uh, that's different type of communities as well. So it's not really about the, the recipes itself, but it's about the same passion around the food and, uh, you know, the, the food and drink, basically. Same thing for, you know, mothers with young children that they all have, you know, their kids in different countries and they can chat about what type of food they, um, they really enjoy, like their, their baby likes and all these things, right? So Cause the one phrase you mentioned there was the only fans of food and I do find that quite interesting because, again, OnlyFans was it's, it's, it's set up in a way that's very similar to what you want to do. That's you right. know, creative arts, showcasing your skills and, you know, what you're great at. But then it's been taken over by, you know, the infamous porn and other aspects on that side. That's right. Mm -hmm. The question I would say is, how would you kind of go ar around stopping people exploiting your platform and putting things in place where they can, let's say, saturate it with fake views or, you know, really exaggerate or put fake content on there? Are you kind of putting blockers or... Or taking steps to stop that at all that's right so at first creators can create a, an account and you know start putting uh, uploading recipes but they won't be able to monetize the content until they, they reach a certain number of followers uh, so that means it's kind of a way to to vet the uh, content so if a creator just you know for example create some <laughs> you know very easy dishes you know and take a picture with their phone with a bad lighting and they're not interesting at all, it's very unlikely that they will reach a certain number of followers to then be able to monetize their content. And that's a way to, you know, to make sure that everything is um, authenticated, authenticated that it's uh, <laughs> genuine, also, you, you know, that is good content as such. And also, obviously, we're going to have the, uh, the the traditional kind of report button. So if someone yeah. find a content that's been stolen, that's been created on another website, that's been, uh, well, you see what I'm going with mm -hmm. that is, it's going to be quite easy to uh, to flag up. And then it's yeah. for us to do the research and see if the creator is uh, so sort of know, like a, a real one or if it's a so sort of like a plagiarism checker in some sense yeah so it's more created at, at one, one one level i guess and at the same time you can also get creators to actually do more quality or higher quality content right mm -hmm. because everyone can go on instagram live tiktok live whatever it might be mm -hmm. and it's just very low content overall That's so right. this way you can just make sure actually it's really good content coming out the audience actually get their money worth or whatever it might be and you know yeah. everyone's happy that way yeah we have a creator that uh, well creator is there too actually that the use it in a very interesting way i think it's uh, that the they upload a very short video on uh, TikTok of let's say 20 seconds showing kind of the highlights of the recipe and then they will say if you want the full recipe or the full video then you know visit the page on the our page on Dashalt. So Makes I think sense, it's yeah. quite a nice um, a nice way to use the system. Yeah. You can you can even think about it like um, sort of like masterclass, right? Where you have all these very you know high influential type of individuals and they just do a little snippet of what they're showing in their actual class but you can do this for different people that might actually not reach such a broad audience mm -hmm. but they might reach some someone or a very specific audience yep. let's say for example um, Canadian food or Portuguese food or even English food uh, and they just reach people who are actually interested in cooking this type of thing so it's actually quite quite relevant for them isn't it that's right the I really like the, the idea of masterclass and it's, I think it's mm -hmm. really, um, you know, I was a candor business model before. The difference is masterclass is really a kind of a one-way model, which is you watch a video of someone doing it and it's very interesting stuff. You know, it's very, in, um, you know, well-known individuals and um, it's great. But what we are trying to achieve here is really the, 
the bond between you know the creator and the community together mm-hmm. you know so obviously i'm talking about recipes but also we will uh, be having live streams as well so you know okay. for people to cook together mm-hmm. these type of thing and and right now some a lot of people use these things already to kind of join a community, cook together or discuss different topics around food and drinks, but it gets a little bit complicated for them as in they need to, you know, as a creator, you need to put on a post on Instagram at first, you know, you're going to get your followers, then you want to get them back to your blog and on your blog, you will then ask them to register to your mail list. And then on the mail list, you will send an email saying, hey, you know, we can have a cook along at that date. If you want to join, we're going to cook this. Here's the list of ingredients that they need to find themselves and, you know, please use this Zoom link or a Google Meet link. Yep. So it's not really, people use it. So it's there, but it's not very uh, streamlined. So there's yeah, and it's, I think it's kind of hard, like, at least for me, you have so many steps, isn't it? Because if you just find someone who actually creates the type of content you want to follow on Instagram, you need to follow them on Instagram, but I also need to go on the website, mailing list, it's too many steps. I just want to find out how to cook something. And if I have a channel that just directs me to that person and everything is optimized, and I can buy the ingredients, I can buy the cookware even. Correct. Um, just makes my life a lot easier. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, just to conclude on this, I know you have uh, other questions, but basically I think it's a space that's not been, uh, that's not seen any major changes, changes sorry, for the last mm-hmm. 20 years or so, you know, since, <laughs> since the end of the 1990s. You know, it's the yeah. same type of thing, free recipes with, um, uh, with adverts, right? But I think it needs to be modernized for younger generations with like gamification elements and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. using the live stream, like I said, these type of things. So I think yeah. there's a lot of things we can do there. So we're going to find like a na- next Jamie Oliver or Gordon Ramsay on Hopefully. the platform. <laughs> that would be great, isn't it? <laughs> but would love to. On that note, can you actually swear on the platform? Because I know Gordon Ramsay does swear a lot. So. Oh, yeah. I don't it, think there's will be They'll be allowed. Okay. I think it should be fine. You know, it's part of his, uh, of, of his personality or the personality of Okay. Of the creator, so yeah, of course. For us, we just give the tools and for them to decide what they want to do with it. Yes, for the OnlyFans aspects, so they can do whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not nudes, though. Uh, <laughs> I would be surprised that happens, but you know. But if, if you think about <laughs> it, I mean, what's the? Um, is it Nigella? Uh, Nig- Nigella? Nigella? Mm-hmm. What's yeah. her name? I mean, she she does you know. Um, kind of capitalizes a lot on the fact that she has a big bust, right? And every time she shows up on television, you're never quite sure where to look at, at least from a male perspective. And then you also have that uh, Ainsley, is it Ainsley? The one who keeps on mm-hmm. making innuendos about food, right? Uh, so it's actually, you know, there's a lot of innuendos uh, around this. So <laughs> I'm sure you're gonna find a couple of creators like that. Kind of well, this happen, it happens, right? I mean, it's yeah. uh, people for them for the type of content that they create. So it's for them to decide the way they want to spin the page. Okay, so I, I'm looking forward to, to look out for the Naked Chef or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Might be you, Ricardo. <laughs> uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, I, I am going to the gym a lot, so who knows? <laughs> Make sure our, our eyes are covered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, so we, we kind of know Dom, obviously, we're related, we're related, not related, we're close friends, and I know that you also had a previous startup before, so you want to mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about, about that? Because the reason I'm asking this is because I think it'd be interesting for our listeners to actually know um, all the steps of creating a startup and then what to do when it actually doesn't go so well, which is the case yeah, here. Yeah, that's what happened. That's uh, what happened. So if you want to kind of tell us, uh, you know, the idea, what happened, mm-hmm. um, what lessons have you learned? I think that's super insightful. For us. Of course, of course. More, more happy to. So my previous startup was um, uh, a concept to open a food outlet, a bit like Prêt à Manger or uh, Eat. It's been a while I've seen it, but, you know, you know these type of, uh, of places. Um, using some vending machines to sell the food. And I'm going to explain exactly what I mean by that is, it, especially in London, 
it's quite um, it gets it's quite quiet during the day when people are at work and then at lunchtime it gets extremely busy right so everyone goes down they they queue up for 10 minutes they already have the, the sandwich or the salad in their hands right and the only thing they want to do is to tap the card and basically pay yeah. so i was thinking about uh, make these two steps together where people where customers can just grab a product and make the payment at the same time and then leave the store so that would literally take them 20 seconds to you know for the whole for the whole thing and ended up with a concept uh, similar to the amazon lockers that you guys mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure familiar with um that are refrigerated right with windows in front and windows at the back and with the with the the staff members making the products in real time behind the machine so really fresh food um, and for the customers to just press a button to say i want that one not kind of like a two type of thing you know really just i want this one i'm gonna make the payment on the the, the machine and i'm gonna go out so and literally it was uh taken i think 50 seconds mm -hmm. it's been named uh, the uh, fastest uh, fast food in oh, wow. london by timeout <laughs> before we had a visit of timeout that was great and so i opened that uh, yeah food outlet near liverpool Street station it was on for uh, for a few months uh, mm -hmm. it was going well but we closed down because we discovered kind of a new opportunity as well, mm -hmm. which was the idea to sell these units to uh, bigger companies, you okay, know, like, yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, catering services companies, for example, these mm -hmm. type of thing. And um, so it was going well until then. And then we kind of found out we had a good chat with a lot of companies, but found out that the capital needed for to, you know, to purchase the number of lockers, mm -hmm. it was too, too much. And it was quite difficult to prove the the concept without spending a lot of capital up front. Mm -hmm. So, um, but that was kind of a mistake a little bit to, not a mistake, but well, basically to, yeah, to start a company that needed so much cash up front without being able to kind of run a little MVP that would have um, captured the market. So. so the issue wasn't really the idea per se, it was more the fact that for you to prove that the idea would be successful, you need a lot of investment. That's right. Started. Okay. That's right. Because I'm just thinking, I don't know if you guys have ever been in Canary Wharf at lunchtime, but it's there's queues everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would love something That's like right. that. Yeah. That's exactly right. But now that was years ago, and I think I was a little bit too early with the the, the, the market, mm -hmm. uh, because now I've seen online that Burger King is trying something like this in the States with, I think it's a drive through. I'm not really sure exactly, uh, you know, it works. Mm -hmm. Uh, but also Deliveroo has done it with uh, one of their shop, uh, the, the, their stores in or Hong Kong or Singapore, one of the two. And it seems to work well, you know, mm -hmm. so I think the idea is there. I might be looking into that in the future again, but, you know, I need to... Uh, we yeah. need that, you know, more a lot capital up front. So, <laughs> uh, I think it's a very good idea, but you've definitely taken, have you taken a lot of this, say, research or concept from other markets such as South Korea or Japan? Cause no, I didn't actually. So the, I had yes, this concept exists in the Netherlands. There is a kind of a fast food chain called Febo. Uh, they have machines like this since the 1980s. But I thought about this idea without knowing that it exists. And um, then I found out about, uh, you know, that trend. Apparently, it was quite big as well mm -hmm. in New York back, you know, right. everyone loves food a there. very long time. <laughs> no, but just after the war as well. But it died out because people were not carrying enough change. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it was all with cash at that point. But now with cards, it's very different. So that's why I decided to go back into it. So it was not really about looking at different what was going on in different markets, just about um, seeing a problem, a recurring problem. Mm -hmm. that was happening in front, uh, in front of my eyes really you know yeah. to see like these long queues being in the queue myself being like god this is taking forever why am i not just able to you know just throw my card make the payment <laughs> and go out so if, if you could pay let's go back in time to when you came up with the idea 
what would you do differently? Would you look at working with potentially innovation hubs or accelerators, try and look for funding outside of the traditional angel investment or venture capital route? So essentially, what would you do in that side? Would you try and utilize mm-hmm. the ecosystem within London to do your idea with minimal investment, get that MVP, get that prototype, and then roll it out? Or would you kind of do something completely different? So what I've done with this idea at first, I, um, well, wrote the, role, the business plan, obviously did the research, and I went on Crowdcube to uh, raise funds, and it uh, turned out to be really well. Love Crowdcube. Uh, what they do, it's amazing. And uh, But I think one of the mistakes that I've done as well is to, I haven't raised enough capital. Ah, yes. you see. So, and the reason why I said that is I had kind of one shot, right? I had enough money to create the rest of the, the, the food outlet, and then, well, you know, if it would have worked, it would have been perfect, right? So the, um, but, you know, Raising more capital would have given me the opportunity to try different ways or different, you know, learn from the first kind of shop and then maybe close it down, opening it again and try different things like this, right, to, until it works. And I think if I'm not wrong, if I'm not mistaken, this is the story of Pret-a-Manger as well. I think in the early days of Pret-a-Manger, they, you know, they had a, a deli or a food outlet, mm-hmm. you know, and it was uh, working okay, but then they closed it down and then we opened something else and then it really worked yeah. uh, as now we know it basically so but the food is always tricky isn't it i mean yeah. e- even there's there's this great movie called the founder um and tells the story about mcdonald's how i got mm-hmm. started and all that and what's interesting about this is that um it kind of tells you uh, I, I guess everyone has seen the movie you know i'm yeah. hoping yeah. but it kind of tells you what they were doing before and what they've done after and how they kind of optimize the operations That's right. and in, in essence people are still going for hamburgers the hamburger is still the same mm-hmm. What has speed up a, a lot of in the process is they optimize everything, and they did that test. And I think you kind of kind of had the same the same issue, which was okay. I've optimized everything, but then I need investors to back me up and kind of help me grow. And you mm-hmm. didn't get that that last bit of the, the equation, isn't it? That's right. That's right. So, um, so yes, I think I would say you know raising more funding mm-hmm. through maybe accelerators, through maybe you know incubators, as you said just before, that could be uh, an option. But at the end of the day, it was more yeah, it was to just really, more that validation you know, and get more you know just to give the opportunity to explore different uh, concepts and not to be mm-hmm. you know here's the idea here's what i need to do and if it worked great if it doesn't work then oh you know it's uh, we need to close it's more about you know let's give it a few shots uh, mm-hmm. well to have the money to be able to give it a few shots and then see what we discover from that and how how have you found like how hard is it to actually find the incubators and, and the accelerators or to actually, are they actually open to this type of, of things or not really? They do, they do actually. Normally, um, to be honest, I've never uh, been part of one mm-hmm. the, directly, but I know there's a lot around. I have uh, good friends that work with these, uh, you know, accelerators and uh, incubators. Uh, they bring a, lo- uh, bring a lot of value. Mm-hmm. And I think for entrepreneurs, it's a very good thing for them, you know, that it, these things exist because if, if they join the accelerator or, you know, incubator, at the end of it, obviously, they open the door for investors, but also, more specifically, they have kind of this stamp of, hey, you know, there's already people that believe in your idea. Mm-hmm. So when you pitch to investors, you don't just say, hey, you know, it's me, I got an idea, and I hope you believe with me. It's you say, I got this idea, and there is a lot of people behind that is backing on it and have been selected because I believe, well, they also believe that what I'm working on is great. So for the investors in their eyes, it's very, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good thing to see. So... So you kind of get proof of the concept by having other people signing up to the idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, 
no one wants to be the, the, the first one, right? <laughs> no one to say, you know, you know what, yes, here's all my money, take it. But if you say, look, I already got, you know, 10 people that agreed with this idea to mm -hmm. be able to be accepted, um, do you want to jump in? You're you more likely to do that. And it's the same thing what I've done with Crowdcube, with the first concept. Mm -hmm. You know, there was few a few people that were jumping in the ideas and investing a bit of money. And at some point, obviously, there is this kind of fear of missing out of like, well, okay, now there is so many people that approve the idea, that yeah. put their money into it, that do I want to join or do I want to, well, if I don't, I'm going to miss out on that yeah. opportunity. So I think that's what a creator... Uh, it makes sense because if, if you think about it, all the startups that we kind of use nowadays, by the way, not startups anymore, they're massive companies. Mm -hmm. When they first came about the market, everyone was like, well, I don't think it's going to work. Let's think about Uber, for example. Well, you can order a taxi on your phone. Why? I can just call a taxi. Mm -hmm. And it was a bit of a crazy idea. But then all of a sudden you got Uber, you got Lyft, you got so many companies doing the same thing throughout the world that just copied the exact same business model. Why? Because someone believed the first one and then everyone else copied. And I'm thinking Uber, I'm thinking uh, HelloFresh or Gusto even. Driller as well. Driller, yeah. So Airbnb is exactly another one at first. It was yeah. a bit, uh, why would I stay with someone else? Exactly, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. the question is always the same, which how do I get my business off the ground? And how, if I'm the, the you know, the, the innovation uh, creator in, in the space, how do I get more traction out of it, right? That's always the challenge. Mm -hmm. It's so always like, uh, flood more money into it as quick as possible. And it's always take that market share. Once you have the market share, you then kind of dominate it for a very, very long period of time. But again, flooding all this money in for such mm -hmm. a long period, you're expecting you know, half a billion mo and more yeah. to kind of sustain that position as number one in your mm -hmm. markets for at least 10 to 20 years and buy out everybody. Is, is that kind of the same area that you're looking into? That's right. Well, the obviously, as you said, as you rightly said, it's to capture the market. The person who's going to capture the market, this is the, you know, uh, the winner, isn't mm -hmm. it? And that's exactly what he's you know, big companies are not profitable right now. They want to have a bigger share of the market, and that's uh, that's the right way to do it. The uh, but what I would say with this is, I don't think raising capital um, should be from the start. You know, and what mm -hmm. I mean by that, well, there is different ways to look at this. But because if you raise capital, for example, okay, you raise a, you raise a million, you got a bunch of people that uh, works for you, and then you go for it, right? What happens if you don't have the traction needed to convince the investors for the second round? then you know this all kind of will already started and then well you run out of money and then the idea die so in the and during that time you might have built a product or building a product that might not even have been finished but have you really found as a as a founder the the gap in the market the kind of the real idea there what i'm trying to say here is my the way i look at it is more to create a business uh, without the the funding work yeah. on it a little bit and during that time to be able to just keep your eye open basically and see if you discover other things that might be even better than your first idea. And then if it's the case, then you pivot. And then mm -hmm. you pivot again and pivot again. And a lot of companies, successful companies, that's how they, that's how they ended up to be successful, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm thinking about Twitch, for example, which is uh, mm -hmm. you know, a, a concept that I love to tell that I can tell in a minute, but it's just to say that the idea to just test the market, speak to people, you know, get the, you know, just to, to be out there and really to, to really understand exactly what people want. Mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think most companies need the funding at that point. Yeah. And then when they are sure that there is something that is unique, they've yep. done a lot of research, surveys, spoke with uh, hundreds of people, then this is the point they can be nice. You know, mm -hmm. with the product that we started, we started A, but now we are at B or C. This is the point that we should get the money and, and raise and then we can go for it because we're sure that this is the... It makes sense. I think a lot of companies, at least nowadays, from 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 when I you know, I, 
I research on is that you got these people that have a crazy idea and they can code and they can develop the product and then mm -hmm. develop the product, but then actually, does the market have an actual need for it? And then they find out actually the market doesn't need this at all. And they just spend a lot of money, a lot of man hours doing this. Uh, and what, what for, mm -hmm. right? The market didn't say needed it, nor can you actually educate the market on a need they don't have. Mm -hmm. So you True, just yeah. kind of get stuck. And I think a lot of companies face this. That's right. And that's yeah. the old concept with the, you know, MVP products, you know, the, the Lean yeah. Startups, if you heard about this, mm -hmm. it's great. It's a famous book, right? You know, it's really to, to create a small, uh, well, minim minimal viable product. And then, yeah. but the really the key is to listen to people around. And this is a bit of what I'm, well, this is exactly what we're doing with Dashalt. We're mm -hmm. building a product while we recruited creators, spoke to the creators, mm -hmm. make sure that, you know, really understand the pain points. And this is what's going to, you know, well, it already made us change uh, the route. So I did have a question going back to your raising investment aspect. Mm -hmm. How would you compare the UK ecosystem to that of, let's say, America or of Europe? Would you find it a lot easier, a lot harder? What's kind of been that pain point? <laughs> well, I'm no really expert, cool. really. Uh, you know, but what I heard, what I believe as well, and what I heard many times is uh, investors in, well, say, UK is, are a lot more uh, risk adverse. I think it, it's a lot more um, in the States. It's more kind of, you know, here's a really good idea. Here's, take as much uh, money as possible. Let's, yeah, exactly. Let's raise <laughs> a lot of money. And, you know, investors going to be like, oh, yeah, that's fantastic. You know, I don't know you, but, you know, you got a crazy idea. You some money. Right. But in the UK, it's more kind of, you know, the traction and the EU as well. Right. They want to see more tractions <laughs> and kind of more um, le a little bit less in a rush, I would say. So and then you mentioned about raising on uh, uh, Crowdcube and other aspects as well. Yeah. Would you still say that's relevant nowadays? Would you say it's easier or is it, would you say it's oversaturated and look into other areas like cedars, but then you've got the crux of using cedars, which is essentially you need to have your investors already there. I think uh, their policy is you need to have you know, a, a good majority of your funding already raised, put it onto your platform and then they'll help you get over that further hurdle. Would mm -hmm. you say nowadays, is that helpful to do or is it quite difficult? Oh, to I still believe it's an excellent idea. Uh, you know, crowdfunding, I think mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's amazing. L last time, well, when I've done it, it was years ago. So maybe it changed um, since then. But it was it was for to raise. We didn't have to raise the investment, the majority of the investment. We needed some funds, you know, friends and family that were, uh, you know, able to jump in. And then uh, I think it was maybe five or 10 percent at the at the time, maybe it changed. But in any case, I think it's great because um, People like crowds, you know, like I said before, mm -hmm. they like to, you know, to see that other people approve the idea before them. And, you know, I think it's I think it's really good. And also, it's not only just about the money. You have the exposure coming out from this. Mm -hmm. And I've met so many interesting people through that Crowdcube, uh, you know, investment journey that even well, some of them invested. Right. And they're still my friends now and others that haven't invested, but I'm still in contact with them and they are super interesting people. And it's just because at the end of the day, they saw the pitch that could have been private, you mm -hmm. know, in other platform or, you know, I could have run with enjoy investors, but because it was public, they reach out and say, hey, you know what, uh, you know, I'm not in a position to invest, but, you know, I'm a chef. I would like to speak to you because I love this idea. And then, you know, it's really nice connections that you can get through that as well. So building a, a loving, loving community before really launching out and going big mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Is that something you did to have, have like a, a wait list before you went live or did you go live and let people come onto the platform? With a Crowdcube uh, funding? Yeah, no, even in, even in general, just building that community aspect around it. Did you try and build your own ecosystem, have people already you know, really oh, yes. interested in your platform and then as soon as you launch that MVP, they all That's right, that's the, best, that's the best way to do it, obviously. You can see that a lot on Product Hunt as well that uh, you know a lot of people message you to say hey, you know my pitch is coming mm -hmm. up my pitch is coming up and then you receive <laughs> these messages everywhere and people connect with each other before um before the, the day so yes that's 
that's really the way to do it really to kind of create that buzz before meet people meet as many people as possible and then when it gets to to the uh, you know to the time to be to then reach out and you don't reach out as just kind of a cold call and mm -hmm. you know hey my name is Dom, blah, blah. You, all, you reach out as as a friend or a connection then so so okay. you get a lot more kind of chances for it to work i think so the tips for our listeners is make the connection <laughs> make sure you actually befriend people oh, instead yeah. of asking i think i think it's completely uh, spot on yeah. i think as many you know i do that quite a lot now is really to uh, connect on well people send me requests on linkedin or i send them requests and we just we have nothing to do in, in common as such with the business itself you know i'm into a one <coughs> let's say the food and drinks field they are into uh, you know uh, i don't know something else called governance or something you know like and no, no connection but we just jump on the call and meet and this is great because at the end of the day you never know who you're going to speak to who you connect to um, and also you might find out that let's say you want an introduction to an investor and that person can do that and yeah. uh, on my side you know i i brought some clients to these people as well like some you know that Mm -hmm. Basically, I know that it could be interesting for them to chat together. So, yeah, I think, you know, talking to as much uh, as many people as possible is really the key. Building that community of foodies. I, I love the whole aspect. It's it's really interesting. It's really engaging. And it, it's, it's doing something that everyone loves. It's food. It brings people together, brings people mm -hmm. together in, in one little place. I know we've got other countries similar to that with the Philippines where their whole culture revolves around food. Yeah. Yeah. Food as well, yeah. And used to be back in the old days, the bigger the belly, the, uh, the happier you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And also it's not going anywhere, you see. For example, with the AI coming up, you mm -hmm. know, this type of thing, I think it's, um, uh, you know, AI is going to be able to generate a recipe, but to, to build that connection between the people, it's not, yeah. never going to be able to... Yeah, it's not going to happen. I actually tried the other day on ChatGPT yeah, just to do, um, I was like, can you build me like a, a weight loss program? Because I need to lose a couple of kilos uh, or pounds, depends how you want to look at things. Mm -hmm. And uh, he actually turned out really, really good, you know, better than a personal trainer, to be honest. But then the personal connection is just not there. I won't have someone motivating me. I won't have someone checking up on me or anything like that. It's just, okay, this is what you need to do. But then again, if you think about like knowledge and the way we access knowledge, let's say 30, 50 years ago, if we go to the library and all the knowledge would be there, right? Mm -hmm. So it's always about the personal connection. You're still going to need to have a personal connection, AR or not AI. Unless, I don't know if you ever consider this, but if you ever consider having an AI um, bot or personality on your platform and everything is AI generated, the recipes they create, the video they create, everything. Have you ever considered that or not really? No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I mean, say, uh, we haven't really considered. We, we kind of thought about the idea to bring some AI in the future. We got mm -hmm. some, some ideas with this. Um, but also even ChatGPT now, you ask yeah. them to create the recipe and I haven't, I haven't tried the recipe myself as in mm -hmm. like, you know, to cook it. I don't know if it's good, but <laughs> it's going to come out with ingredients that seems to make sense together mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the method and all these things. So it's interesting. But again, you know, it's uh, yeah. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if people would like to say, oh, yes, I'm going to go see my favorite AI food blogger, yeah. you know, and we look, you look online and oh, what this person, you know, it's more, you know, you want to know the kind of the story of the uh, the creators as well, you know, why the, you know, the grandma recipe has been mm -hmm. taught them for yeah. years yeah. and these type of things. So. Yeah. And the little stories and the little tricks and, uh, you know, I had a little bit of pepper here instead of something else mm -hmm. or a little bit of, I don't know, garlic powder, for example. I quite like garlic powder. Um, so the, all those things make a huge difference, right? And I don't think AI is ever going to replace that. Would be surprised. Yeah. Would be surprised. <laughs> I think, you know, someone could create a book with, uh, I know, you know, I know a lot of food bloggers in the industry actually mm -hmm. are a little bit nervous with the AI, but uh, I don't think they should. 
I think they have this thing missing that is still missing for the AI. So it's more that personal trait. It's like we want to see human connection. Yeah. Is is AI? Correct. Does it sound delicious? Whereas Correct. if I go to a really big brand name out there like you know Gordon Ramsay or Jamie Oliver, I know his place is shut down, but yeah. you go out there and have a look into it. You know, I want something that's got a person's name behind Correct. it. Something you can imagine, and it, it really gets your taste buds going on that side. And again, going back to the AI question, like what would you say is groundbreaking around your product? or your service, like what is, what's makes you, I guess, different to your competitors in the market? So there is uh, an aspect of the website that it's quite, uh, we haven't really started to work on it. So, you know, I don't want to talk too much about it, but there is really kind of an element with the, the live streams and the community coming up as well. So it's not really groundbreaking te technology as such, you know, it's gonna kind of, you know, a new, uh, you know, we talk about food here, we're not talking about kind of, you know, uh, uh, it's not rocket science in a sense, mm -hmm. you know, we're not, but it's kind of to put different technologies together to make it work. So um, nothing to do with AI so far, but it's more, you know, the way we do it and the way we create the live streams and use different tools that exist on other platform, but we really specifically create or tailor it around the food space. I think that's the, uh, and no one really has done that before. A lot of people, a lot of companies try different things and fail, and that's really a, a very good insight for us as well to be able to, mm -hmm. um, We've been able to look at these other companies, find out what they were doing, why have they filed. You know, we spoke with some creators as well that were part of the websites and they were using the platform, their platform, and say, you know, tell us what was not working. This type of thing came back to us, and altogether, this is what created this idea that we are working on. But also, like I said, this kind of big, uh, big part coming up as well. So interesting, we'll times ahead, isn't it? Well, we we wrap everything up what would be your growth strategies or, or kind of plans for the future just to kind of get the listeners interested and once this gets bigger and bigger and you're, you're really out there onto the market and you're the new only fans you know push them away no more porn <laughs> we're ready for you have some food porn on this side but what would you say you would be what's your scaling plans oh, i think plans? i think there's a lot of things like i said you know this space has not seen any big innovation and think about everything that turns around food now let's say the intelligent mm -hmm. uh, appliances in the kitchen you know like the screens in front of yep. the fridges you know like people now i think 70 what is the stat 77 percent of the adults now cook with an ipad or a tablet or a mobile mm -hmm. in the kitchen you know um and again it's still things are evolving you know continuously but the 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 food blogs that are all scattered around there is hundreds of thousands around you know that no one know the real the real number which is kind of wrong in a mm -hmm. sense right uh, because if you say, you know, what do you do? If you say how many there is, how many videos there is out there or video creators, then you would look at YouTube, for example. Mm -hmm. But nothing like that exists for the food and it's still stuck at the same place. So yep. um, I think there is big innovation that we can see that, you know, like I said, again, the gamification element, you know, to uh, or to know that other people are cooking the same recipes as you in real time. You know, this kind of even if you don't know the person, it's nice, nice to know. You know, there is things like that mm -hmm. with beer apps. You know, like you can see how many people are drinking uh, well. <laughs> a gamma ray at the same time as you, this type of thing. It's like Who's nice little facts. down the road? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so there is a lot, a lot of um, things that we can add, in the, you know, over time. And mm -hmm. so now we, like I said, we're starting to build kind of the first uh, stage, which is really the, 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 the Patreon or the OnlyFans for the food industry. Mm -hmm. And you know, after thereafter, we're gonna really uh, add a lot of things on things uh, on top of it, and it's gonna be really a a, a great journey. Oh, definitely the coolest websites uh, for the food and drinks out there by far. I can I can promise you that. Listening, say any aspiring entrepreneurs out there listening to this podcast, yeah. having this situated in connected places, catapult in Farringdon, working with entrepreneurs, working in the innovation space, 
And what we predominantly do, coming from our backgrounds, is essentially help people get to that next stage of their journey. It'd be really great if you could kind of give some lessons and some advice, some tips to anybody out there looking to do something similar. Where would you tell them to start? Where would you look into? What, what's the, the space for them to kind of break into? And, and what mm -hmm. kind of passion would you say to, mm -hmm. is there for someone in this area? I would say, well, what I would say is um, obviously, well, the first role is if you get excited about an idea, you know, uh, wait until the next day, right? Because when you <laughs> sleep, when you wake up and you still, if you're still excited about that idea, that means you got something interesting. Then is the time to pitch it to friends and family. But even that, uh, you, you know, it's really to pitch it to people that you don't know. And when these people that have no connections, direct connections with you say, hey, this is interesting. You got a good idea. This is when you can really, I think, explore further. And what I would say, uh, the one big piece of advice I would say is really to, uh, to 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 keep to be flexible as i said you know to not say here's my idea and here's going to be the the product and that's it and that's going to be a straight line it's really to create step by step and then through that that, that, that adventure right mm -hmm. to see to talk to people and see what they think and then some of them might say things that's going to spark other ideas and then you know change the kind of the whole vision and then that product line slowly is going to be a curve and then you end up with a, a better product that fit into the market uh, that you are that you think at first so but the, mm -hmm. in any case the most important i would say is to be out there because a lot of people you know ideas are free right everyone got ideas every day millions of people have ideas but it's really to do it and once you are into that kind of in the middle in the space you know around there then a lot of things are, uh, happen at that point you meet people you meet uh, you know people tell you about other stuff and um and this is where the fun begin but the important is really to make the first step make the first step and and never give up as well a lot of people give up after two three months their first rejection but being an entrepreneur and, and serial, serial entrepreneur in your case mm -hmm. it's crucial just to keep on going because you never want to know what's what's really going to go out there that's right and what i can say is it's a lot of fun uh, you know it's it's really fun to think about at first what is it you know it's an idea in the head of someone and then slowly mm -hmm. you kind of feel it you know you can see it concrete right so let's say the idea the the sorry the previous company with the the machines all the the machines were you know the kind of the vending the lockers right they all they were all kind of made um, custom in China, mm -hmm. and you know it took some week, few weeks to get it delivered. But when I unwrapped it, I was really like, "Wow, this is fantastic!" <laughs> it just, you know, it was a creation in my head, and then mm -hmm. now I can, you know, touch it. So it's fantastic. It's happening, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's the same thing with uh, online platforms as well. Obviously, it's something that you can feel physically, but it's the same type of feeling. So. And just, just enjoying the, the little steps, isn't it? Because it's going to be progressive. You're not going to become a, a billionaire overnight, but you will have little little steps towards victory, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the same thing in anything you do in life, isn't it? Whether it is going on a diet or going to the gym. At least for me, I now started like on a fitness journey, and it was just embarrassing. The first time I went to the gym, I have like 16-year-old kids just embarrassing me on you know every single thing I was doing. But now I'm like, you know what? I can actually deadlift a little bit. Uh, and I can actually squat so much. Uh, bench press, not so much. So, but yeah, working on that. But so, it, so do you make fun of the 16-year-old now? Uh, now I kind of make fun of the older crowd. Actually, you know what? I, I'm <laughs> you, cannot, you cannot say like, you know. The, the way I see it is I'm super respectful of everyone because everyone's course, on their different course. paths in their journey. So I'm always super supportive. And what I found, for example, in the gym is that people actually want to support you because they've been there themselves and I think that also reflects a lot in business because people see other people making mistakes in business and they actually gonna tell you know what why don't you go this way and just a little you know extra bit of advice it's completely free 
but it's going to save you a lot of trouble uh, down the road. And I think you, you mentioned about having a community around you that kind of supports you and mm -hmm. helps you. And I think that kind of helps. It just happens naturally. That happens a lot to me. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are helping me, mm -hmm. and I'm helping other entrepreneurs as well. Yeah. You know, so and also I would say, don't be shy to reach out people that you haven't seen for a long time. You know, mm -hmm. I received that message not long ago uh, from a guy I used to work with. That was like 12 years ago. You see, we completely lost touch. You know, mm -hmm. we we just we were just connected on LinkedIn, and he said, um, "Hey, you know, I'm starting that tech business. You know, uh, can I speak to you? I know you got a bit of background with that." Uh, and I said, "Of course. You know, I'm more happy to you know mm -hmm. catch up." We well, met for coffee and now um well you know it's not because of me but he followed a bit of advice of you know i give him some tricks and he just raised i think 200k oh, you know oh, so wow. it's it's not you know life-changing for now but it's good that um well to be able to help someone like this you know yeah. and it's but I, initially it's because he reached out to me even if we haven't spoke for so long so yeah just so, so tips for our listeners is reach out to people don't be afraid to re reaching out because mm -hmm. i think 99 percent of people are actually quite friendly when you reach out to them and but just also say, never you're gonna get someone who's gonna be mean with you worst case they're yeah. not gonna reply you <laughs> that's it right? yeah exactly you know, I mean, no one's gonna be, they're not you know. gonna be like hey sorry i really don't like you i don't want to help you at all you know no one's gonna say that <laughs> so but i think that's the biggest fear isn't it the fear of rejection right and that that just you know yeah. transpiring everything we do in life which okay i'm i fear i'm going to be rejected if i speak with a b and c and we don't want to do it because that's going to destroy me mm. but actually it's it's part of life you just go out there and you ask questions if they say no you move on to someone else and it's the same thing you know in anything you do in life so yeah mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense would you say learning from failure is very key for the entrepreneurial journey having your your previous company you've rejigged it mm -hmm. you've taken Definitely. lessons from it and you're not going to say it's a fail. It's it's a learning curve, but everyone says, "Oh, you didn't do this. You move on." Definitely, definitely. That I learning curve is crucial. It's as well. really rare that someone start a business. You know, like the stories like Facebook. You know that you start a business and then oh, it works out. And mm -hmm. the, these type of things are really, really rare. So what normally happens is, or business fails, and you know the entrepreneurs will learn a lot from that. Like in my case, that's you know uh, I feel like it was like MBA with the old mm -hmm. kind of startup of you know creating the company, running it, and then. Uh, closing it down but also what happened a lot is these companies will pivot change names you know and it's within it's the same entity the same company like the limited company mm -hmm. but this all you know when they pivot they're not gonna make the same mistakes than the first one so so hard lessons hard lessons exactly but in any case um yeah how do you learn right you know you, you need to get into the water to know how to swim type of thing so don't buy uh, failure. It's very. It's a very well, good one. Not really not brown, yeah. but you know what yeah. I mean. Like it's just to. If what, you're in the middle of it, you have no choice and learn from it. I'm just thinking. Wasn't it, uh, it Thomas Edison who said, "I haven't failed. I just found nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine ways of not making a light bulb." Right. Mm -hmm. And that kind of tells. I think you're you, right. He said yeah. something like that. Yes. So I mean, it, it probably someone you know uh, made made this quote oh, up yeah, for, yeah. for him, but nope. but the idea is there, isn't it? Because he found so many different ways of not making a light bulb until he find the one that actually works. It's the same thing with business. You, you need to keep on pushing. You need to keep on innovating again. Innovation yes, conversations right. <laughs> <laughs> until you get the, the the answer you're looking for. So yeah, makes that's right. Sense. I think it happens a lot of you know successful uh, entrepreneurs that it's like their fifth business that work, you know, mm -hmm. or the third, or you know, eight, or whatever it is the number. But it's uh, never give up. Keep on going. Yeah. Innovate, and as you said, uh, the innovation conversations. Oh, here and I'm, to I'm from the <laughs> that's the most important, and always celebrate the the small um, the small victory. Oh, interesting times ahead, isn't it? It's, okay. it's going to be fun to, to see this grow. Um, so if people want to join in, what's the website? I think that's the only thing we haven't mentioned, actually, because keep on name saying, you know, Dash Salt. I'm sure it's going to be... Dash Salt, Dash Salt, yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's, a, it's like a dash of salt, right? So yeah. dash, 
D-A-S-H, saltslt.com. Dot com. All right. That's so it's right. pretty easy, straightforward to, to find it. Um, and then if our listeners just listening on a podcast, not actually checking out YouTube. Hey, YouTube. Hope the camera is still on. Uh, <laughs> Want to find you. Uh, what's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, well, the my direct email is dumb as Dominic, dom, mm-hmm. D-O-M, at dashall.com again. Okay. Otherwise, uh, they can find me on LinkedIn, obviously, easily at Dominic Dumont. Um, that would be the easiest way to reach me, really. And, you know, I'm not really on Twitter or anything like that, but, you know, emails, I read every email. So anyone mm-hmm. that wants to, to get in touch, you know, I will make sure to, to reply. It would All be right. great to hear from anyone uh, that listens to this. Cool. 